Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Welcome back, Jesse. I am so happy to be here for season three of The Swing. We made it. We did. We did. Yes. And uh, I know a lot of people were interested. I got a lot of tweets the last few weeks asking where we were and why we weren't doing it yet. And um, certainly appreciate everybody being interested in it. Uh, Our schedules didn't work out, so we couldn't do a a preseason. But this will kind of serve as the preseason episode of The Swing. We'll do some predictions coming up in a little bit. Um, Some over-unders. I know you're a big fan of those uh, and trying to hit, hit on those, right? Uh, only if we don't revisit what my answers were at the end of the season. Oh man, I'm getting prepped for the football one. I can't wait till the end of the season to, to bring that one back, but we actually look okay. I think on football for the most part. Um, we'll see, but basketball, uh, does, did open up on Tuesday night at South Dakota or in South Dakota at Sanford Pentagon, the Sanford Pentagon. Is it a Pentagon? I, I assume it is. I don't know. Would you assume it is though? Is it shaped like a Pentagon? That's what I'm asking. Yeah. It, it must be. It looks like the coolest gym in history, though, uh, straight out of 1955. Look, it does not look like the coolest gym in history. Why? You must, eight, be, you di- must eight, hate Hoosiers. Eight different three-point lines, it felt like. Yeah, that part, so, uh, questionable. Yes. But the venue itself, very cool. And the dark brown floor. Like I, did, I, didn't, I just wasn't a fan. Do you hate Hoosiers? No, I like Hoosiers, but for the most part, that's a, it's a good movie. But I'm just saying it's not aesthetically pleasing to the eye watching that game the other night. The three-point lines were not. The rest, I was okay with. The product on the court, I don't know. It's the first game. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin loses that 65-63. It was, Wisconsin had a chance to win in regulation. We'll talk about the decision they made on that play and, you know, going in, in the way that they did. And then also at the end of the, at, at the end of overtime, um, Greg Gard lets it play out instead of fouling uh, when there's about four seconds between the shot clock and game clock after um, Nate Reavers miss. I thought that was a little bit interesting, but overall, the team itself. I'll be honest, it didn't look. I mean, obviously, it looked different because Ethan Happ wasn't there, and it was a little bit more spread out. Um, but they still had some of the same struggles that we saw at the end of last year, specifically shooting the ball. Um, if, you know, if not for Nate, it was an ugly. Outside of Nate, it was an ugly look at night shooting the ball. Yeah, they went five for nineteen from three point range. The thing we've heard most during this offseason is that because they don't have Ethan Happ or Khalil Iverson, that means you have effectively five shooters on the floor at all times. That's still true. I'll say this from the outset. I'm not going to be overly concerned about the result of the season opener on the first week of November against a team that is a legitimate top 20 team. That is a very good St. Mary's team. Yeah, Wisconsin should have found a way to close that. But I think we saw some things that we needed to see out of that opener. Nate Reavers taking a huge step forward, 22 points. Do you think it was a huge step? Like, like For him, it was. He tied what, a career high with 22 right, points. Right, but what did he do d- better than he, didn't, than he did last year? Like, I thought he put the ball on the floor a little bit better, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's still clunky, isn't it? It's not smooth. <sighs> He's except, more, for that one dro- except for the one drop step, like the w- one drop step spin that he did over he a He looks a little more polished, and to me, he's more assertive. And I think Certainly that's, more confident. And, and more confident, and I think that's the biggest element here. He was the one guy that you knew needed to take the major step forward because you don't have Ethan anymore. And we talked about this last season, too. When Ethan was on the bench in foul trouble, for example, that Illinois game when he had 22 points, the 22 that he matched on Tuesday night, yep. Nate took over during stretches when Ethan was on the bench. And so I thought that was an encouraging sign. 
Aleem Ford and Kobe King too. Um, still showing more versatility. Um, I know people probably would have liked a little more, but on the whole, I think you saw some good things out of the opener. Well, we can get into it a little bit more. I was um, I was not overly impressed. Like you, you mentioned Aleem Ford and uh, Kobe King. I did not think that, especially Kobe, I didn't think he played well, very well. He, he certainly was not aggressive by any stretch. I mean, I, I shouldn't say it. Was not overly uh, aggressive. And the one time that he was overly aggressive, he dribbled the ball off his foot late, late in overtime. I mean, Brad Davison's foul and that dribble were the two biggest plays in overtime. Uh, and, and the offensive rebound, you know, with four seconds left to, to put them at the line instead of, you know, having a timeout and be able to set up some kind of a play as opposed to just have to run it out. But Kobe, you know, he turned the ball over four times at six points. Um, Only took two shots. Yeah, Aleem won a six from three-point range, though two of those, obviously one was at the end of regulation, the other one was the desperation one at the end of the game. Just three of nine overall. Like, I thought that there were opportunities we saw. Like, the, the tying layup at the end of regulation mm-hmm. was great, you know, from Aleem. It just, there wasn't enough of that. Again, this is the first time they're playing without Ethan Happ in four years, right? So this is the first time since 20, the 20. Since the final four year that they're playing without Ethan Happ, and it's and I know Kobe said it during the week, but it takes a lot. It, it's still getting used to playing without him, and I think that certainly played out with some other guys because they're not used to having all that room in the middle to go and work with. And um, I don't think it was going to happen just right away. You mentioned Aleem Ford from a shooting percentage standpoint. No, he didn't shoot very well, as you said. He only made one of six three pointers. But what stood out to me were two drives that he made buckets inside that. He would not have been able to make in previous seasons. Obviously, last year he dealt with an injury and he just wasn't himself afterward. But the first one, and I wrote this down because I was like, "Wow, that I, I did not see that from him before." It was about ten and a half minutes left in the first half, and he he got the ball in a post up, and he did this little turnaround at the basket with his right hand. And the other one was, as you said, it was that big time bucket with about fifty three and a half seconds to go. He drove the lane from the wing and scored a layup that was huge. So to me. The things that I was looking for in this game was, okay, who who is doing things differently from what they were able to do last year? And so, yeah, you're right. On the whole, there were some issues, shooting and execution, but I think we saw some things out of guys that needed to take steps forward. On the other end of it, was there any, I mean, you get two points off the bench? Yeah. See, that's a problem. However, when you get Micah Potter back... If he's a starter, then which maybe he, Aleem Ford's coming off the bench and you're getting production there. If he's not a starter, which I can't imagine that he wouldn't be based on everything we've seen, um, then you're getting production from him off the bench. So the two points off the bench, we we saw some of that last year too where, where, the, where the bench did not provide the lift that it needed to. But I, I, I'm less concerned about that now because you know you've got Micah Potter sitting there, which he should be playing now. That's <laughs> another discussion point. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you've got him sitting there, and in, in mid-December, when he can come back, to me, that changes the entire dynamic of the team. Right, and that was, you know, there was a lot of disappointment last night because you had a great opportunity to get a game that you weren't supposed to win. Uh, you had an, they, were, they were underdogs in that game. You're facing a top-20 team in a road, you know, not a road venue, but uh, a neutral venue with a whole bunch of new pieces, you know, taking on new roles and they have their guy go off for 26, you know, in Jordan Ford and, and um, you still had your opportunity to win that game. So it, it feels like it's a major disappointment. I kind of asked this before we come on the air, but do these games hurt Wisconsin? Like a loss like that, does that hurt Wisconsin knowing that 
you know, if they play well in the final, like when Michael Potter comes back, whether it's next week or not until December, does that hurt them with the NCAA tournament committee or do they count these games without that player kind of like he's injured? And so they don't really count them because you, you don't really take that into account because that's not the same team. So like they take the last 20 games instead of the first 10. I think it depends how well Wisconsin plays when Micah Potter is there. Say they're 15 if, and five when he comes back. Right. And if they're, they're, if they're a fringe NCAA tournament team, I, I think they owe it to themselves to look at how, how is this team different with Micah Potter there? But Watch you can't go back. The, at the same time, you can't go back and change the result of a game like this that would have drastically improved your NCAA tournament resume when we get to that point in March. But you're right. Every situation is different. I remember, was it Kenyon Martin at yeah. Cincinnati many, many years ago had a, a bad injury in the conference, in the conference tournament, tournament, and I think Cincinnati dropped down a seed line or something like that. Or Did they? Maybe they, they, they may have, but yeah, no, you're right. Like in Michigan State's a, a good example with Langford last year. Like he missed a whole bunch of time, and you know, with with him on the floor, they're a different team. And the same thing is going to happen this year, of course, because he's hurt again. Um, and they they look at those guys a little bit differently because they didn't have their full lineup. And I would think you would hope that it would play out the same way for Wisconsin and and Micah Potter. You know, when he comes back again, as you know, whether it's somehow some way the NCAA comes to their uh, to the right, or I shouldn't say the NCAA, the Legislative Relief Committee comes to their right mind and, and uh, listens to him and allows him to make his case, and all of a sudden he's back and has an opportunity to play before December. But right now he's missed one game. He's going to miss it. Uh, if nothing changes, another nine games. Um, we'll see. But Can we talk about how ridiculous this is? Yeah, because it's been ongoing and we haven't had a show since this all went down, but right. his, the guy who's representing him is Scott Thompson, and he... He's been putting out statements periodically, and he put out another one right before the game on Tuesday night. Um, and he said that he said it's bewildering why the NCAA cannot see their way to letting Micah play when they have granted virtually every other request this fall, which I think all of us agree on. You've got someone on the other side at St. Mary's who's playing. Um, who and played so, all of last year. And several other guys who have played in multiple games last season when Micah did not. And he, he finished by saying it seems everyone except the NCA recognized that Micah has been penalized enough and should be eligible immediately. I think all of us who are around this program realize how preposterous this is. Like, we don't know the rationale behind why he is not able to play. And I think that's a big part of this. Like, let's let's have some transparency here. He was still at Ohio State for the first semester last year, but he didn't play. And when he transferred, they say that the reason you have to sit out is to acclimate academically. He's done everything he needed to. He's got a three-point-plus GPA, and he's being forced to sit a third semester when other guys aren't having to sit any. It just makes absolutely no sense. And and if, you, if you're the NCAA or if you're a committee involved in making these decisions and you say you are for the rights of student-athletes, how in any way does this show that you are for rights of student-athletes. It doesn't, obviously. And the thing is, you mentioned the transparency, transparency or lack thereof in this situation. With him, Like, it's not the thing about the committee that is deciding these waivers, we don't know who's on the committee, first of all. And it's not the same committee for all the waivers. It's a different, like it could be a whole different set of seven people that are deciding on these waivers, so there's no consistency there, right? And it could be 3-3. Three, three. Maybe there's a, somebody on the committee that has a, conflict of interest and has to sit out and it's three three and then it's it's hold it's hold up so it's held up because of that like there's so many different reasons that it could be but i feel like the ncaa just the consistency needs to be there across all the waivers you can't have a certain committee saying yes to a guy that 
for instance, the guy that transferred from Kentucky to, to out to Washington, who played like or, you know he at least he played last year, but transferred at the semester last year, just like Micah did, and transferred, and now he's eligible right away. Is he moving close to home? No, he's moving across the country to Washington. Like, what's the re- you know? There's there's a lot there. Did his coach leave uh, at Kentucky, or did they get a new coach? No, he just he just left, and. He's getting out. He's getting to play right now, and Micah is not. And there's so many more examples of that. And the lack of consistency, I think, is probably the more maddening thing. If if everyone was held to the same exact standard, because people don't want to hear this, but the letter of the law is being followed here in Micah Potter's situation. It is not being followed in a whole bunch of other people's situation. And I think that is what is so maddening. I think and frustrating for Wisconsin is. All these other guys are not being held to the letter of the law. Why is Mike Potter being held to the letter of the law? And, I, and you know, we don't know uh, the exact reason for that. But I guess I'd be shocked if we see him before December at this point. Oh, at this point, 100%, because we're already into the regular season. And this is when he's eligible is oh, he December 21st. He did travel uh, mm-hmm. yesterday. Uh, they gave him a one-time exemption. The NCAA did. Thank you, I guess. Uh <laughs> Like, I don't understand why they did that, but I mean, I want to know if, first of all, we don't know if they're actually going to allow him to have this, this uh, phone conference that they have requested. Essentially, they've been told no, no three times already, right? The first time the waiver was denied, the appeal was denied, then the ask for the request for reconsideration was uh, denied. And now they're at this point where they're asking for this phone conversation, this phone conference to allow Micah Potter to tell his story to the seven committee members, this legislative relief committee. And we don't know if that's actually taking place. I assume that statement from him last night would suggest that it has not yet been granted or maybe it was granted and they're on to the next thing. I don't know. But he's he's at a point right now where it's just so unfair where he's going to have to sit 18 months and it's, it's a bunch of BS. I don't know. Agree? I mean, I, I, we could talk this into the uh, we could talk this into the in, into oblivion. But in terms of impact of not having him against St. Mary's, pretty significant because they go they get thirteen offensive rebounds. Nate was essentially the only big guy that they had. I mean, they played Joe Hedstrom a little bit, but not not too much. Uh, I think Hedstrom. I think Hedstrom, when he played a minute. Actually, looking at this, yeah, he played a minute. He was the only he's the only guy taller than six seven that played last night. And so Nate had to play a ton of minutes, played forty one minutes, which I guarantee is a career high. Um th- you're gonna ask him to do that for another nine games? Probably not probably don't need to do it against some of the lesser competition, but he would have made a difference last night. I, I don't know if he makes the difference, but he makes a difference. It's hard to say he doesn't make the difference in a game that goes to overtime where one possession could potentially win you the game. You're right, you don't know. We haven't seen a ton of Michael Potter on the court, but what I did see was what he did in the red-white scrimmage. He was the best player on the floor in my mind, certainly the most consistent. His defense on Nate Reavers was tremendous. Nate missed some shots on his own, but Nate also had to work, and he didn't make any buckets in, in that scrimmage. And I thought Michael Potter showed his skill set offensively. He could score inside. He popped out, and he buried a three-pointer. Now, he didn't shoot a particularly high three-point percentage at Ohio State, but it's something he can do, and it's something that fits into what Wisconsin wants out of its big man. He's got all the traits that you want, and he's also a veteran who's been through the wars of this league, which is not something you come across every day that you can add a player of that caliber. So 
I think he'd make a, a significant difference. It may not be a significant statistical difference. This is a guy that averaged 4.1 points at Ohio State. We're not talking about someone who's coming in and is going to be a first-team All-Big Ten player, go for 15 and 10. But what he does bring you is substantial. Yeah, and we'll see We'll see when he does get back, whether it's in December or at some point before that, um, just how big of a difference he could make. And Wisconsin desperately does need him in this lineup because we saw that uh, – a lot, a lot of things on Nate Reber's shoulders, and he held up pretty well with all that. But you, you need some, he needs some help, and uh, I don't think it was by any coincidence that of the uh, couple people that t- tweeted out a picture of the uh, there was a picture on the TV last night. Someone had brought a free Micah Potter sign. A little kid had um, Nate was among them. Once I think the only like two guys retweeted it, and Nate was one of them in terms of the players. So he he knows what uh, it would mean to have Micah back. All right, a little sold or not sold. Jesse, sold or not sold? Great guard should have fouled after Nate Reaver's miss instead of letting the clock run down to the four seconds between the shot clock and the game clock. Sold or not sold? I'm sold. I have to admit, when I watched this, I was surprised at the decision because it was a one-point game, right? Yep. And, and it was bonus. And they weren't... And it wasn't... It was... A, Sorry, and, go ahead. And, and then, no, and so it's a one-point game, and you're thinking, okay, well, obviously St. Mary's is going to try to run down the clock here, and so best-case scenario, they miss. Wisconsin has one timeout left, yep. and maybe there's eight seconds left. Now, that that's not a terrible situation, but what happens is you run the risk of what happened. There wouldn't have been eight seconds left. It, there was four seconds between the shot clock and game clock. Well... They also didn't take a shot with zero seconds left. I mean, the the reason that the, it ran down, too, was because St. Mary's had this incredible offensive rebound, and then the guy got fouled. I just... Six seconds, let's say. Okay. Either way. We can argue about that. The, I was surprised at that decision. Yeah. I can understand both sides of it, but if you're trailing, to me, I would think you would want to extend the game and get as many exactly. possessions as possible. Yes. And that was worst-case scenario, right? You... you you run it down and you get the missed shot that you want. And then St. Mary's gets the offensive rebound. And then they used a timeout to draw something up, knowing that it's going to be a one possession game, no matter what he only made one free throw. And all Wisconsin could get was a shot that they would have would, would have liked to have something better out of it. And would you have rather have had that timeout after the rebound? I was also yeah. I thought that was interesting too. I would have thought so, but he's done it before. Then, because then you know exactly the scenario you're in. How many points are you down? What do you need? Right, and, may, and I understand the scramble idea of it. With you know maybe they won't be set up and it won't allow them to set their defense. I get that, but with such a small amount of time, you could probably feel like you need something set up. Whereas you can maybe get a better look. Four seconds isn't a whole lot of time, and that's why I think you would have fouled to begin with. That was kind of um, surprising. Sold or not sold. The shot they got at the end of regulation was the best shot they could have hoped for. Well, the way that question is phrased, uh, I am uh, not sold. I yep. mean, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, you want to get something what going to done? the basket, okay, what would obviously. You, well, what, well, what Dimitri had the ball, right? Yep. And he got mm-hmm. cut off. He did. And so he swung the ball and Aleem had the ball on the wing. They've been, they've been running that pick and, pick and roll the entire, entire and, and they did not guard it completely well. Like, Dimitri hit a jumper earlier on, but... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm just saying, you want to get something going toward the basket, obviously. You haven't shot very well from three-point range. You're in the bonus. That's a tough shot that Aline would have to make. So, 
of course you want to try and get something going. But I, when when they cut off Dimitrik, that obviously changed the complexion of the play. Would you have, I mean, the way that Nate was playing, and it, I mean, he wasn't on fire by any stretch. He was 8 of 18, but a lot of good shots inside, had a lot of success getting you know inside. Maybe instead of, because uh, what did they do? They ran the clock all the way down to 13 before calling their timeout. Um, maybe get call it a little bit earlier, allow him a shot uh, in the post, a post up. Because in the, and then if they come and dig, like they were probably in double or potentially double, then kick it out for that those because you'd have somebody open. But you have to feel good about Nate throwing in, finding the open guy. And I think that that'd be one part of his game, at least inside, that probably st- Ethan was so good at that finding the right guy. Nate's probably still focused on the basket as opposed to making the right play, just because he hasn't had a ton of experience down there. But for me, I'd want to get a post touch and make them guard him without fouling because. If they foul, you got two shots. I would agree. It's easy to play armchair coach oh, here the course. day after, and if Wisconsin had found a way to win that game in overtime, we're probably not talking about this in the same way. Sure. But, yeah, I don't I don't know how you can argue with get something going toward the basket, put it in the hands of the guy who's gotten you 20-plus points at this point and, and see what happens. If they collapse and free someone up on the wing, then great. If he's one-on-one, you like your chances. Maybe he draws a foul, and you win the game right there. Yeah, and again, I, I – j- I understand the reasoning behind what they did. It felt like Brad at times can can deal with maybe some more physicalness than maybe Demetric can and coming around that screen. Would you have potentially had him there? I know you Demetric's point guard and you've had him the ball in his hands all game and that's kind of that's his thing and he's been that he's got that jump shot off that, you know, especially going to the right was kind of his thing last year. Um I get that. Brad has been able had been able to finish at least in this game better around the hoop. See, that's why I don't question the decision yeah. to have it. But you, he's your point guard. You've got the ball in his hands, and you had seen before what happens when he comes off a pick, going to his right. His pull up jumper with his right has been excellent. We've seen it multiple times. It just so happened that they defended it well that time. But if they didn't, you've got the ball in the playmaker's hands, and if he's open, he'll take that shot. And I I, I would take that bet with him. All right, a uh, few over unders here. Nate Reavers, twenty two points in the opener. Over under the 17 points per game that Ethan Happ scored per game last year for, for Nate Reavers. The best part about all these questions is this is the first time I'm hearing it, so I have to make a spot decision. You know what's ridiculous? I'm going to say... No, before you answer this... I was going to answer. No, no, before you answer this, <laughs> before we come on the air, you you complained about me giving you questions beforehand because then it sounds... is a very strong word. No, I you just compl- want to point no, out compl- to our you, listeners. No, you complain. This complaint is the accurate word there. Um... You lamented the idea of having to have the the questions before you came in here and, and writing and you know and, and knowing what you were going to say before you came in here. And then when I give you something that you don't know is coming, you complain about not knowing that it's coming. I have free will to complain about everything I want to. I'm going to take the under. <laughs> um, obviously, the 22 points in this game shows that he's certainly capable of it. But can he consistently do that? And what will happen when Micah does come back? I mean. How will that change the dynamic, whether it's shots and certainly minutes? As you said, he played 41 minutes. Obviously, it was an overtime game, but he's going to play 34-plus minutes, I imagine, in most games. But for now, I'll take the under, but I think he's going to be the leading scorer. Yeah. Over under 39% from three-point range for Dimitri Trice. That is what he shot a year ago. Well, he's 50% through one game, but as we know, last year he was at 60%. Through like was it nine games or it something like that? He was yeah. leading the country, and yeah. then he fell off. I'm gonna take the over, over 39. percent I'm gonna take the over. I've I've got faith in him, which okay. is funny because last year 
we were talking about is he going to stay above 40%? And I think I was hanging on by a thread there, and then just the bare- last game of the year he fell under. Yeah. Yeah, he did. 39. <laughs> I just think he'll be more consistent this year. You won't necessarily... I mean, it's hard to say, based on what we've seen in the past, that he could shoot 60% and just be at such a blistering pace and then fall off as substantially as he did. But over the course of a season, I, I would expect more consistency out of him this year. Did you think... I think they admitted to it a little bit that they got worn down towards the end of last year and that they did as much as they possibly could this this summer and some of their workouts and, and probably into this season of trying to limit the time on their legs, but also not having another true point guard to bring in, right? Like last year, it was him or Brad, and now you know Trevor's not 100%, but at least you can give him a few minutes. Uh, I think Trevor played eight minutes last night. He's probably going to play a little bit more, I think, as time goes along. He's just not anywhere close to back to what he was last year, but um, having him back in potential, you know, last year, I wonder if he is there the entire year, whether you do get that sudden drop off between both him and Brad. Well, I think having obviously another body that you can put out there and take minutes away from Demetrius so he can get some rest is going to be huge. And you know, there's not going to be like a substantial drop off. Trevor's not going to be someone who's hunting for his shot. He, he played eight, about nine minutes. He didn't attempt a shot against St. Mary's. Having said that, you know you've got that bulldog mentality where he's going to play good defense and he's going to set up the offense. And so I do think there is something to that. Uh, Wisconsin in their first game last night shot 70% from the free throw line. Over under 70% for the season from them. I'm going to go under. Um, I don't know why I'm saying that other than well, Because you've just seen Wisconsin the last four years. But I, they were, I think they were close to 75 without Ethan in the lineup last year, like if you take him out, I think it was close to 75. Maybe I should go over then. I'm just Maybe I'm, you're talking me into it. Well, no, because what they did in the, apparently, allegedly, according to sources, I guess Jim's sources, uh, Jim Polzian's sources, they, they went 21 of 26 from the free throw line in the close scrimmage. Apparently not everything that um, happens in Cedar Rapids stays in Cedar Rapids. Uh, that apparently got out. They were 21 of 26. They were 13 of 26 uh, in the in the exhibition game, um, and then last you know 14 of 20. I just feel like Kobe King has to be better. Four, yeah, he was four of seven. Four of seven. I think He's they're going to be in the high 60s. That's where I'm going. Okay, high 60s. You're gonna, so you're going to say under on the 70. Yeah. percent This is kind of a, not an over or under, but who gets more time at the free throw line, him or Nate Reavers? Kobe, Kobe or Kobe Nate? Or Reavers? Nate? In the end, I think it'll be Nate. Because think about it. I mean, you think think about how many times Kobe had the ball last night and he still got to the he still got to the basket seven or he still got to the line seven times, which is the same number as Nate, and yet Nate's usage had the ball in his hands a whole bunch more. If I have to pick one right now, I'll go I'm Nate just, wondering. just because I'm just you know he's gonna catch the ball in the interior more now. Kobe's obviously got the ability to drive and he's got a big enough body and he's athletic enough to get into the paint against guys who may not be adequately prepared to guard him. He certainly needs to show more of that, but since I have to pick only one, I'll say it's Nate. All right. Over under 20 wins. I have no idea the schedule and who they play, but I'm going to take the over because I think this is a team that Actually, gets you know to what? the NCAA tournament. We'll stop that. Over under 23 wins, which is the number of wins they had last year. Ooh, that's a better question. Yeah. Also still have no idea who they play. I'll go the under because Big Ten's tough this year. It's tough every year. I know they're Picked preseason to finish sixth. Um, Were they picked to finish seventh last year? Yeah. But I don't know that they get to 23. Maybe they get to... I think this is going to be an NCAA tournament team. I, I don't I don't know 
why I feel that way, other than you've got a lot of guys back from last season, you've got a strong backcourt, and you've got emerging frontcourt players, I feel like that'll be enough. Who emerges as their best player? Well, to me, it's Nate. I think pretty clearly from what we saw, from all the things that we saw before, or said before. Yeah. But he's got to be the most consistent because they don't have a lot, as you said, in the front court. And even when Micah does come back, I don't know statistically what exactly they're going to get from him. So so to me, it comes down to to Nate Reavers. It does. Who's their defensive stopper? Ooh. Because obviously you lose Khalil. And and you know what, for the for the most part, I thought, you know, obviously Jordan Ford went off, right? He had twenty six points, but only two of that came in the final sixteen forty one of the game when Dimitrik, I thought, did a pretty good job of uh, you know, um taking him I don't want to say him out of the game. He still had the ball in his hands a bunch and was was facilitating, but when they were struggling, uh it was when Dimitrik was on him. I thought he did a really good job on him. But you can't have him guard like Khalil could guard four different spots, right? Can't do that. So who's who is the guy? Is it Kobe? See, I was gonna I was gonna pick Micah Potter, but they're not all. They'd be guarding completely different players, and right. I'm only basing it on a scrimmage and and right. and what he could potentially bring. So in the front court, I would go with Potter. In the back court, man, that's that's tough. I don't I, think they have one. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know that they. They certainly don't have someone like Khalil. That was a unique blend of talents. I think the name that we'll talk about probably as the season goes on because he continues to get better and more acclimated is probably Tyler Wall mm-hmm. and the ability to, to for him to guard multiple positions. Now, whether, I don't know how much his time will get taken down when Micah does come back. Like, I don't know who loses playing time um, when, when, when Potter comes back. But, you know, they only used, really only used two guys for extended periods off the bench and that was Wall at 12 minutes and Pritzel at 22. Yeah, I, I think Tyler has he a opportunity to be their best defender so i I wrote a a story about uh tyler out of the the local media day and just talking about what his potential could be and he's the only scholarship player in this recruiting class and and everybody spoke glowingly about him not that you expect them to say bad things but i remember talking to his high school coach when he was being recruited and and i i thought this was telling of the type of defensive player that he could be he played in a really tough conference he played at the same school that nate reavers played in in lakeville minnesota and the coach said he would guard like one through five in high school. They they put him on Trey Jones, who's now the point guard for Duke when they played Apple Valley. Yep. Um, and and they beat Apple Valley. It was a really big deal. Like two games later, he was guarding Dawson Garcia, who's a 6'10", 6'11", center. And I think that says a lot about his defensive ability. He's got some of that Brad Davison in him in terms of the tenaciousness defensively and, and the want to to take charges. They're not the same player. I think he's obviously. more. I think he's more athletic than than Brad. Yeah, they're they're different players, but in terms of like if you're looking for someone's skill set to compare him to, it's that willingness to do the dirty work. And and Tyler talked about that when you and I were were talking to him at the local media day. So yeah. he's got a chance to be a really good player, and just the fact that he's getting as much playing time as he is as a true freshman, speaks to what they think of him. Now, I think the minutes probably won't be the same when Micah comes back, but then again, maybe not. I, I think he's got a lot of skills, and offensively, they call him a slasher. You can see some of the, the things he can do when he gets inside. Yeah. One thing we did not mention uh, in talking about the game last night was the foul on Brad with about 90 seconds left. It was, I think there's about 138 left, and... They were down to, I think, three seconds left on the shot clock, and the guy was driving, and, and Brad reached in and, and got called for the foul. They were up at three at the, up three at that point. 
what do you do in that situation? Do you just let it play out, or or do you, are you thinking about the fact that they had that same guy had just done a couple of you know the spins and like gotten inside with with ease a couple of times earlier in that? Was that the one where he kind of tripped over Brad? Or he, Brad reached in the ball and the guy fell. Yeah, uh, and and Brad thought it was not a foul, of course, but <laughs> timing and everything like that. It was just it was a tough situation because they're up three, about to get another or potentially get a uh, shot clock li- violation there and he reaches in. I mean, I, what do you do? Do you just let it play? Cause that's who he is. I mean, what are like, you if asking? You're a coach, if, if you're a coach, coach, if you're a coach, are you, what are you saying to him? I mean, after the whistle's blown, there's really nothing you can say. He's a go-to guy who's going to finish with 16 points and you don't want him to foul in that situation, but you also want someone to play their game and be aggressive enough to, to make the plays. I don't know. I, I haven't spent much time thinking about that particular play because to me there were so many other plays. Okay, that so what, had a what plays? What plays that we haven't talked about? It, were you thinking about? Well, it's end of game execution. It's it's the ones that we've talked about. It's you've got a chance to win the game. It's tied at the end of regulation. You got to get a better shot than that. And um, the decision when St. Mary's gets the ball up one that they didn't foul and that they didn't get the rebound. So those there's a million plays that happen in a game, and what happens at the end is magnified, but. Those are the ones that I think of. Yeah. All right, time to get into uh, some of your Twitter questions. Uh, Greg says, It seems to me that defenders realize nobody on the Badgers is quick, fast enough to drive the hoop so they can get it right up on UW's players as soon as he gets the ball in the perimeter. Am I just imagining that? Was that a question about the other team defending Wisconsin offensively? Yes. yes. I don't know. <laughs> can you ask that one again? <laughs> it seems to me, Greg says it seems to him that defenders realize that nobody on Wisconsin is fast or quick enough to get to the hoop, so they get right up in UW's, uh, the f- players' faces on the perimeter and as soon as they get the ball and they have nowhere to go. Am I just imagining that? Yeah, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I don't think like that's in the scouting reporters. They're not quick enough to get to the hoop. I mentioned before, I thought Aleem had a huge bucket in the last minute where that's exactly what he did is he caught the ball in the wing and he drove to the right and he got the layup. And so I think he can do it. I think Kobe can do it. I think Brad can do it. So I also think playing that kind of defense is opening yourself up for a lot of room inside. Yeah. If you're going to overplay a guy, maybe someone goes back door. Yeah. I mean, Wisconsin, the way Wisconsin played defense is not the same way as some teams play Wisconsin. And I don't necessarily think that's because they can't get to the hoop though. I think it is a fair, criticism that they don't potentially have guys that can create on their own without a lot of help. I don't think that's inaccurate. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. Okay. Um, Kira asks or says, uh, love what I saw from Reavers and Aleem Ford last night, but had been hoping King would be more dominant than he was based on a small sample size. What improvements do we need to see from King for the Badgers to reach their potential? Aggressiveness. I think the Last year, we knew that he didn't have the aggressiveness or the confidence because he was still coming back from that knee injury, and that was understandable. And I think we've heard a lot this offseason about what a different player he could potentially be. If he's as good as we think he is, he's got to get more than two shot attempts from the field. He did get seven free throws, but... Which suggests he is a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. But... But still. I, yeah. I know. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's um, him having to be that third guard, like not having another big on the floor... Sometimes when he's maybe he's and he's having to play guys that like his I feel like his advantage would be if he was the two and was facing a guy that was about his same size as opposed to playing up a little bit. uh, He would be able to take advantage of it more. And right now they don't have that. They don't have that possibility. But I feel like when 
Michael comes back and you're able to put on a few more uh, bigs on the floor, maybe you can play him as like the shooting guard and he's able to to post up against a guy that maybe isn't as as uh, big as some of the guys because he is that's I think right now where his game is the best it is around the rim and I I think I saw more post ups from from the guards last night or it feels like saw more post ups from the guards last night where they actually got the ball and made a move with Brad or Kobe than I did all of last year combined now that's an extreme overreaction and and completely untrue but it felt like that where we saw. Uh, we saw it a lot more. Well, don't undercut your own point by saying it's completely untrue. You have to say it with conviction. No, but I'm I'm saying like it's a it, it it's a complete not overreaction, but it is. It's it's that's not they they obviously posted up more last year than they did. It's hyperbole, is what I'm saying. It is uh, it it felt like they posted up more last night in a single game than they did in any single game last year, and they may have. Um, and I think that is part of the swing that was missing, where guys were going down there, but they weren't necessarily get the ball, and I thought they did get the ball a few times uh, against St. Mary's. Mark asks, uh, he said he loved the spread out offense, hate how he just chucked so many threes. Any indication this is what we should expect or just a one-game sample? Well, they took 19 threes and 33 twos. I I don't know. I I think this is what you're going to see from them. They've got a lot of guys capable of making threes. They just didn't hit them. You've got, I mean, Aleem Ford and, and Nate Reavers and and Brad Davison combined go three for 14. Like, you certainly expect more out of those guys. Aleem was so good in his first year here that I, I think we expect him to get back to that level at some point. And I think Aleem, his his ability to shoot the three, okay. it was one of the best, percentage-wise, it was one of the better seasons we'd seen from a, a freshman coming in. So I don't have a problem with the number of shots they took from three, 19 shots. I mean, if they make one or two more, they win that game. As is usually the case. Um, <laughs> yes. Nuclear badger, and this is this is during the game. Why so many missed free throws? I just feel like that's. I, I, I'm so sick of that. This is nothing against him whatsoever. It's just I didn't think we were going to be talking about free throws again this year. Seventy percent's okay. It is, but it's, but there were some. Kobe's better shooter than he that than four or seven for and, sure, and he needs to be better. And he wasn't better in the exhibition game, and he wasn't better last night against uh, St. Mary's. Uh, Bacon, uh, Bradley, excuse me, asks, what is this team ceiling? It's the NCAA tournament to me. Is it is that week one? Or I should say uh, to me, first weekend? That's where I kind of am with this team. I'm, we're going to have to see how it plays out this season, but I think it's an accomplishment to get to the tournament in, in a, a league as tough as this that may not sound <laughs> like what Wisconsin fans want to hear, but... It's it's kind of a year in transition, you know. You lost your all-American player and your best defender and there's a lot of talent there, but you've got to put it together. So that ceiling question is always really tough to answer because the NCAA tournament sometimes defines <laughs> what you think of the season. It sometimes, almost always does. It always does around here. <laughs> and so or it has, you know, for the last you, 20 you look years. at last year and you say, "All right, they got back to the NCAA tournament. This is what we expected." And then they play Oregon in a 12-5 matchup and Oregon's playing really well and the Badgers laid an egg, and you're thinking, oh, maybe they weren't that good after all. And so that could happen this year, or they could win two games and get to the second weekend. I think this is a first-weekend NCAA tournament team, but having said that, that's not the worst spot to be to get into the NCAA tournament and then see what happens. No, and, and last year was two different seasons, in my opinion. There was the first 20 games, and then there was the last 15. And um, Would you be okay if 
as la- as last year, it flipped. Like they they be the team that they were the, for the last fifteen games for the first fifteen games now, and then and finish twenty, then finish those final twenty games like they did started last year. I think you would take that. Yeah, I think most people would. You want to see the team that you root for play the best basketball at the end of the season. That's exactly. not what happened last year. Exactly, but like the idea of that team playing that way in the tournament, I think that would have been a second weekend team. Last year's team, like if they were playing the way that we saw them earlier in the year, if they were hitting, the, if they were hitting their shots like they were earlier in the year, if they were playing some of the basketball the way that we saw at the beginning of the last year, it, that season probably thought of a little bit different. Instead, we have people still so upset about how the end of last year ended that they can't get out, that out of their mind when they look at this team and see some of the same flaws, specifically going five of nineteen from three, and they think it's just going to be the same way the entire the entire year. When in reality, that's not how all of last year was, and I think it's I think it's vital and very important for people to remember that, even if you don't like some of these players. And there was a lot of the Twitter, some of the Twitter questions I got were just hateful. Um, and imagine that, and I didn't use them. Um, but I, to think about what Demetrius Twice was at the beginning of last year in the first twenty five games, twenty games was fantastic. He still finished uh, first. You know, in Big Ten play, in terms of three-point shooting, so I mean, you think everyone just wants to chuck people away just so quickly, and yet, while he is not Bronson Kane, again, he's not Jordan Taylor, he's not some of the best, one of the best point guards they've ever had. He's he's a solid player that should help them win a bunch of games. And just because he didn't shoot it well enough last night or didn't get around the screen last night, doesn't mean that he won't at some point this year. I think those are all valid points, and I'd also say when they get Micah back, December twenty-first or whatever. That's going to change the dynamic of this team, and it's going to make them better. So if anything, you look at it and say, maybe there's two halves of the season in that way. They're they're adding a free agent at midseason that no one else is going to be able to add. Right. It's kind of, I mean, it's not on the same level, but it, it may be a little bit similar. It's, this one, not unexpected, obviously, but you know, getting Quintez Cephas back in, in August, like you get the, you add that free agent back into that offense, it makes a huge, huge difference. And Micah, I think, you know, could have a similar impact in terms of, Gosh, that's a guy that does some things that some of these other guys can't, or takes the pressure off some of the other guys so they can be even better than than they have been to this point. But uh, Wisconsin will take on uh, what is it, Eastern Illinois on uh, Friday night before uh, in their home opener. What do you think about playing games, ranked teams like this on the road to start a season after the type of when you're transitioning the way Wisconsin is? It felt like it felt like one of those games where you potentially would rather have. Uh, an easy one at home to open a year and then potentially go on on a road trip? Maybe if you're looking at the be- giving your team the best chance to potentially win. But having said that, I just to work it in. I think it's great because it gives you a good barometer on where the team's at. And, and I think they show that they can be good enough to beat these types of teams. So, yeah, you certainly would have liked to see them win to boost their NCAA tournament resume here early in the season. But I'd take that game over a lot of the other games we're going to see. You know what I would like to see? That game not be on ESPNU. I would agree. <laughs> we just a, a quick little thing is like it turned on, and I'm I'm thinking, all right, I don't get ESPNU. Nor do I. I'll find I'll find the stream. It'll be fine. You know, go first row sports. You know, sometimes you watch UFC on that. Whatever. Go there. None of the four links work, and I'm like, well, what the heck? And all of a sudden, you get this text from Jesse saying. This is BS. Where's where you can't get the game? Where where am I supposed to watch a game? I can't. I don't have any stream. ESPN watch ESPN won't let us watch it. And uh, we ended up finding one, or at least I I ended up, we ended up finding one. 
it worked perfectly for me for the entire way. It was about two minutes behind the regular uh, the regular game, and it was in and out for you, I'm guessing, for the, for most of the way. But my preference would be to have all these games on ESPN, ESPN2, or BTN, or Fox, or FS1. I think most people would prefer that they could actually be able to watch <laughs> the games than have to track them down on some backwoodsy <laughs> shady, internet shady website. website. Yeah. But we found it, it all worked out, and now we can speak intelligently about the season opener. Moderately intelligently? I was going to say, well, we, can, we can sound like you it. You can sound intelligent, I'm just going to talk. So that, that's, I think that's how this, this podcast played out. You talked intelligently, and I just talked. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. Give yourself some more credit. You've been listening to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.